from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Thank you. All right, verse, what, why, why, Andy, why, why have you picked this verse? How did this come up? Well, first of all, I like the name, Old Issachar. He's not talked about a lot, so we should talk about him a little bit. Old Issachar, he was in there, I mean, he's one, he's like those disciples you never talk about, you know, like Bartholomew or somebody, you know, those kind of guys, uh, Issachar's in there too. He's uh, one, of the, one of the 12 tribes, and so, I mean, he's important, like Bartholomew is important. I mean, so let's talk about this guy here and his tribe and these people, because I think there's something important to be said about this. Now, what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is that this takes place, uh, it's taking place after the death of Saul, and after the death of Saul, there was a power grab. Uh, the power grab was between one of Saul's sons and David. And there was an important guy that was a power broker in all of this, uh, whose name was Abner. And Abner had been the commander of the army. He was well respected. People looked to him. And uh, he was just somebody that everybody listened to. Uh, he'd been around for a while. He was somebody that uh, really had, had earned the respect uh, that they, he was given. And so because his, uh, his authority was earned, it was, to me, uh, more powerful than, say, the authority of some other people that were in the kingdom at the time. So Abner decided that in order to maintain his power base or whatever reason he decided to do it, he decided to get one of Saul's sons. And the son that he got was Ishbosheth. All right? That was the guy. And so he gets this guy, and he, he says, okay, well, he's the king. That was it. So what you have is you have a power struggle going on uh, that with Saul's son and Abner, and then David and all of his mighty men. So remember, Abner's in charge of Saul's army. So you got uh, this little power struggle going on. And the people are going to have to decide who they're going to follow, at least at a certain point. And so basically what happened was that over time, it ended up that Saul's son was killed and so was Abner. And, uh, and so that ended that side of the equation. And so people were left with a vacuum. They had David or what? Didn't know. David or who? Didn't know. So, some of them decided, uh, and many of the tribes decided, David or bust. In other words, they're, they're going with David. And that's exactly what we're looking at here. Issachar uh, being represented by their elders and by the people that came forth, decided, and they said, okay, well, we're throwing in with David. And that's exactly what they did. But the way they're described here is what... I, I really wanted to look at because there's a description used here of them that's not used anywhere else in the Old Testament. It's, it's the only time it's ever used anywhere. And it's important in that it speaks to who they were. And as you begin to break down the descriptor, you begin to break down the phrase that they used to describe them, 
it's something that I think we can learn from and I think we can apply. So uh, what was happening was, like I said, after, uh, and even before, but specifically after the death of Saul's son and Abner, families, tribes, individual men began to join David. All right? And uh, even before the two people I mentioned died, people were joining David because what they wanted to do and what they wanted to ensure was that they wanted to secure the kingdom. And they believed that David was the rightful heir. They believed that David was the one that God chose. They Many of them knew that Samuel had anointed him as king. And so uh, he was somebody that they wanted to support. And so they came and they pledged their support. Now, how did they pledge their support? Or were they 100%? Or they did more than that. They said they were with him, but they also pledged their lives. They pledged their fighting, their weapons. They, they pledged themselves as real live people to actually defend the kingdom, to actually defend David, and to actually go to war on his behalf. That's what they were doing. And so this wasn't a decision that was lightly made. This wasn't a decision that was just something that said, oh, well, I guess, you know, we'll do this. And, and maybe or maybe not. This was something that once they made this decision, uh, they were then, this was what they were doing. And so for better or for worse, for good or for bad, uh, for whatever you want to see it as, they made their decision, they threw their hats in to this ring, and this was it. They were going, and that was all there was to it. So, what was said about them? So, these 200 chiefs of Issachar, that's who were coming forth, and that's who were, were doing the talking. There were 200 chiefs, clansmen, and underneath them, they were under orders, all right? All of them were under orders to follow after what these chiefs were saying. And so, these 200, you can't read this verse and say, oh, it's just 200 more people that are on David's side. They represented tens of thousands of people or more. And, and all of them were pledging because these 200 were pledging their allegiance, because these 200 were pledging their lives, because these 200 were pledging their resources, because these 200 were pledging their weapons, their fighting ability, all the rest of those things. Tens of thousands of people were actually pledging because they were being pledged through them. And so this was an important moment. This was one twelfth, approximately, of the people that were there. And so they were saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're with you, David, and we're going to defend the kingdom. So what was said about them in First Chronicles 12.32 is that they understood the times. That's what was said. They understood the times. Now... I want you to think on what that would mean to you to understand the times. Uh, and, and, and really, you can look at their example and you can look at exactly what was going on with them and you can get a little inkling of what that means. Like I said, this isn't found anywhere else. This is it. This is the one example of a group of people that we have that were specifically worded this way, that they understood the times in which they were living. This is it. 
And so, because they understood the times, they were putting themselves in line with David. Now, who was David? David was a man after God's own heart. Who was David? He was the anointed of the Lord. Who was David? He was the man that God had chosen to be the king over the nation. That's who he was. And the people of Judah were quick to anoint him. They were quick to anoint him as king, but Israel wasn't. And Issachar came into this position, and they came to David, and they said, okay, well, here we are. We're pledging ourselves to you. But not only were they pledging themselves, not only were they pledging the tens of thousands of people that were part of their tribe and part of their family, but they were also speaking for, and I'm sure there are people that disagree with this, but they were speaking for Israel. Saying, we're going to pledge ourselves to you. This was the turning point. This was the major turning point for this unification to take place between Judah and Israel. And we know later on, after David and after Solomon, there were splits between the two. But this was a major turning point as far as unification was concerned and as far as them going forward as a single kingdom. And it was these men, these, these chiefs of Issachar, that were bringing it and making it happen. How? By understanding the times. You see, it was bringing a unity. It was bringing an agreement. It was bringing a common vision to a people that up until this point didn't have a common vision. But they were about to have a common vision. There had just been disagreements. Well, there was about to be agreement. I mean, these people of Issachar, they had been loyal subjects of Saul. They had followed after Saul. But in discerning the times, and in understanding the times, they then shifted, they made a, they, they, they kind of pivoted and they moved to David. It was a wisdom that they were following after. And so, understanding the times, they could have something to do with, alright, so think about this, public affairs, it could have something to do with the temper of a nation, it could have something to do with the tendencies of events, and a lot of it is based on experience. In other words, I've seen this before. What have you seen before? Well, it could be things that you're seeing again. And because you've seen them before, then you kind of understand how they work. And you kind of understand how people react. And you kind of understand, you know, the, the tendencies of people. Now, if you see people that are, are living in panic, then you start seeing, okay, these are tendencies of people who live in panic. If you see people living in fear, these are tendencies of people who live in fear. This is, okay, let's say we're in times of great prosperity. Well, these are tendencies of people that live in prosperity. Times of war. These are, these are tendencies of people that live in times of war. And so you begin to look through your experience, through a lens of experience, and say, okay, well, I've seen this before. This is what happened, and this is what's happened the last time, or the last two times, or the last three times. And so this is what's happening again. You know, uh, what happens to people during, say, an election cycle in our country? Well, your experience might tell you, okay, well, this is how this goes. And so the next time it happens, you're not so surprised about it because you've seen it before. Or whatever the case may be. And so there's the experience factor on it, but there's also a wisdom 
factor on it. That these men of Issachar were operating not only in an experiential type thing, where they, they were discerning the times through their experiences, but there was something really godly and something really of the spirit about it, which I would define as a wisdom, a godly wisdom. And somebody look up James 1.5, because this is something that we can affect in our own lives, this idea of wisdom, that if we lack wisdom, let's say that you know that you lack wisdom. Or, let's say that you know that you need more wisdom. Without using a lack word, because maybe you don't want to admit you lack anything. <laughs> but you need, say you could use more. Alright? Alright, so this is something you can affect in your own life. This is something that you have the ability, it's within your grasp to actually do something about in your life if you're lacking wisdom or if you need more wisdom. Okay, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. All right. So if you lack wisdom, what do you need to do? Ask. All right. And so that's something you can do. If you're too lazy to ask, I can't help you. No, I'm serious. If you are too lazy, too lazy to affect this in your own life, to ask God for wisdom, then I can't help you. Well, if I could, I probably won't. Alright? Because this is something within you. You can do this. You can do this. Because I don't wipe your butt either after you're done going to the bathroom. Alright? Because you can do that. Yeah, are we understood here? Alright? Because there are certain things in our life that we need to do. Certain things in our life that we need to take responsibility for. Certain things in our life that are within our grasp, within our power, and within our ability to do it. If you can't do it, I'll help you, but you can do this. Alright? If both your arms are broken, and you needed someone to wipe your butt, I would go in and I'd wipe your butt. Okay? But you can ask for wisdom. You got it? And so you need to, if you're lacking any. You know, and honestly, if I'm looking around, you could all use some wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go get some wisdom, alright? Let's go get some wisdom, alright? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no offense, right? No offense, and this is something you can do. So let's ask for wisdom. Experience. Experience comes by paying attention. Okay? Experience comes by just paying attention to things. Like, oh, I noticed this before, and I remember it, so it could be a benefit to me later. If you go through life with your eyes closed and your ears closed, then you don't really notice a lot of stuff, and maybe experience doesn't mean as much to you. But you can open your eyes, you can open your ears, and you can learn from what you're experiencing. You can. Right? That, that's just natural. That, that's a, a human being kind of thing. That we do that. That we learn from experience. That we grow from experience. And so, I encourage you toward that. And so, between experience, and that we all can learn from, and 
God increasing our wisdom by us asking for wisdom, we can come into a place, at least I believe we can come into a place, where we're going to understand the times better. Like the men of Issachar. And that's really the lesson of Issachar for us, is that they understood the times and so they reassigned themselves. In other words, let's say that you started off following the wrong thing. Alright, let's say you started off with the wrong idea. But over time and experience, and through God pouring wisdom into your life, you say, oh yeah, I'm kind of messed up with that. I should change that. Well, then you can. Then you reassign yourself to go a different way. And there's no shame in that. You know what the shame is? To keep going in one direction because of pride. That's a real shame. It's a real shame to just keep going and doing the same thing over and over again. It hasn't worked yet just because of pride. And, that it, and it's a shame to watch it, and it's a shame to live it. Right? I hate seeing it, and I hate to live it in my own life. And so I've got to make different decisions in my life so I'm not just carrying on in pride. I mean, these people, this is car people, man, they could have kept going in pride. They could have. Like, well, we're followers of Saul. And so his son, oh, he's dead now, but he's got another son. We'll follow after him. They could have. Or maybe they just looked at the situation and maybe they understood something. Let's say through their experience, they saw the direction things were going. But maybe through wisdom that God was pouring out into them, they said, you know what, this is God's anointed in David. This is a man for God's own heart. Look at him. Understand the times. Alright? And they and they were not afraid to shift and to reassign themselves in a different direction. Because they saw it. They understood it. And so instead of moving in pride, they're moving in pride, they allowed the Holy Spirit to lead them. So they they knew and I put that word new in quotes, but they knew what to do. You know, they, they knew, and, and I want you to hear this, they knew what David was going to be. Now, do I mean details of his life? No. Because he wasn't what he was going to be yet. But they knew enough, based on what? Experience and the wisdom of God. They knew enough that he was going to be what they were going to follow. They got it. They got it somehow. They took hold of that wisdom. They took hold of that experience. And they discerned, which I, I think, and they embraced David. That's what they did. And they, they kind of got a feeling. They kind of got an understanding. They kind of got a direction. They kind of got a leading that told them that these were going to be the, the, the season for action. Alright? And, and they put themselves in a position they would be fit for that. They would be fit for action in this season. That David was about to do something that had never been done. Alright? Saul was a terrible king. Saul was not someone that was trustworthy. Saul was not someone that would listen to God over anything else. He was somebody that could be influenced by people. He was somebody that cared about what people thought about him. He was somebody that made decisions based on the wrong things. He was somebody that listened to the wrong people. He was somebody that wasn't even sure of himself. 
didn't even understand who he was. And he had been ruling Israel like that. And here was somebody that was a man after God's own heart that was about to take over and was not like that. And he would usher in the greatest kingdom that Israel would ever know. And so they would go from this one guy who didn't seem to really know what he was doing or who he was into this other man who loved God, who God just made an everlasting covenant with and usher in the greatest kingdom that they would ever see or know. Powerful. But they had to have enough, and I say sense, but I want you to understand that in the sense that it's, it's their experience and their godly wisdom. They had to have enough sense to listen to that in order to align themselves with David. I mean, where would David been living before this? Caves. Caves. Or with the Philistines. He'd been living with their enemy. And so, he, it, would be, it, it could be a logical choice to look at that and say, why would we ever follow after this guy? Right? Yeah. If they allowed whatever pride or whatever could take place over that, take precedent over that, over the godly wisdom and the experience that they had, if they allowed that pride to take place, then they would never follow after him. But they had to see something, not for what it was right that second, but they had to see something for what it would be. And only God knows what's coming. Okay? Only God knows what's coming. And so here they were. The people, the people, they were known for these 200. And in, this is all just uh, kind of Jewish scholars talking about this, but these people were known for their prowess in the physical sciences. In other words, they were smart. Okay? They were intelligent. They knew how things worked. Like levers and pulleys. You know, stuff. Stuff and how you build things. They knew how it worked. Okay? And I don't know what else they knew. I, I have no idea. But you think about what's physical science. Well, it's how you build stuff, right? It's tools. It's how you use tools. It's the way you move things. It's, it's, it's weapons of warfare. It's a lot of things. That, and these people, they, they were known for this. That they had a lot of learning and a lot of understanding in these things. They were intelligent people. And, then they were, and, and that was something that the rest of Israel looked at them and said, Okay, these are intelligent people. And they represented that kind of intelligence. But they had more than that, as I was just talking about before. What did they have? They had a spiritual wisdom. And I think it's important that if you look at Issachar, is that these, these men that were so uh, educated and intelligent were in charge of the armies that were under their command. There was something really settled about the way Issachar was set up. So that it was these people that had intelligence and spiritual wisdom that were making the decisions for the rest of them. Okay, even the army. And so what happened was, is that as Issachar came around, 
as they came around, they began to influence the people around them. They influenced the rest of Israel. That's what they did. So if I look at uh, Daniel 5, Daniel 5, 14, kind of an interesting verse here. I have heard of you, that the Spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Alright. Now, what's that description there? What do you see? What do you see in that description? Holy Spirit. You see Holy Spirit. What else do you see? Wisdom. Wisdom and what else? Light. Yeah. Understanding, light. If you were to read that description of somebody, it seems like they're probably... Do you see how that might be uh, wisdom joined with some intelligence and learning? You know, in that kind of a person? I mean, if you think about who Daniel was, all right, if you think about who his friends were, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, you think about them, they were the best. The, the Babylonians took hold of the best that Israel had to offer. They took the best youths and they set them aside and they gave them a special diet and they trained them in a special school and they were, they were taught in all the wisdom that they could teach, all of the learning that they could teach, they were taught. They were given every opportunity to learn uh, all the wisdom they could possibly give them. And by that I mean all of the learning and all of the, you know, whatever it would be, mathematics, science, language, all the rest of those things, that's what they learned. And so they had that advantage. But Daniel was somebody that wasn't just that. He wasn't you know, out to be the smartest kid the smartest Jew in Babylon. That wasn't what he was out for, okay? <laughs> he was out to hear God. He was out to respond to God. He was out because he took all of that learning and he took all of that intelligence and he joined that with the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And there was a godly wisdom that was in him. There was an understanding that was in him. I mean, he interpreted dreams. He spoke prophecy. He interacted with angels. He, in a practical way, stood up for his faith. Was willing, I won't bow down to that idol. And he didn't. They threw him in a lion's cave, a lion's den. And he came out. No problem. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego threw them into a furnace. They came out. No problem. But they represent something to us that is some kind of, a, I don't even know how to describe it, but they represented to the Babylonians an ideal, in a sense. Because this ideal was these are smart people that are well-educated, but are in connection with their God. And are being used in spiritual ways by their God. Well, in some ways, the men of Issachar were like that, too. That they had the learning, they had that side of it, they were well respected for that, and yet they were also men that, heard, that had wisdom, had understanding, and were moved upon by the Spirit of God. And they didn't operate in pride. Those are all rare things that all go together. 
Daniel did not great in pride either. But those are rare things that go together. I mean, you think about people, you know, in our culture. Um, if, if you have a certain number of degrees, it's hard not to operate in pride. Okay? You know, if you're a reverend doctor, somebody, you know, I, and I'm not saying, I, I don't know, I'm not reverend doctor anybody, but, you know, I, I don't know, and I know that not everybody's a reverend doctor operates in pride, but I've sure met a number of them that have. And, whatever. Did you know reverend comes first <laughs> over doctor? Always. Hmm? Always. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea behind all this is placing a, a premium, and, and I've never talked much about uh, like being smart or education or anything like that. I don't really talk a lot about that because uh, the, the population that we reach and the population that uh, we are part of isn't necessarily uh, one that reaches certain levels of education. But I learned a long time ago that education uh, levels reached does not equal intelligence. I learned that from my grandfather. You know, my grandfather was a smart guy. He he made it through sixth grade, <laughs> sixth grade, and and I and I can only imagine he was probably in his teens, sitting in sixth grade, probably the oldest kid there by ten years maybe, or you know seven years. And that's why he quit because. He was too old. But him and all his brothers, they'd take turns going to school because somebody had to work the field. And so he did what he did. But he didn't achieve a high level of education, but he was a smart guy. But more importantly than being a smart guy, he was sensitive to the spirit. I would not be who I am today if he wasn't sensitive to the spirit. That I know. Because... He encouraged that. He called out that part of me that was connected to the Holy Spirit, that was connected to the spiritual realm, even when I was a child. And he encouraged it, and he called it out of me. Even though he was a staunch Baptist, he was somebody that he, he didn't move in the gifts of the Spirit that he would ever admit to. And, and, he, and he, would even, he didn't teach against it, but he certainly didn't teach it any baptism in the Holy Spirit or any spiritual gifts in today's day. But he, he had enough of a spiritual sensitivity about him to be calling it out of me as a child. And maybe he wasn't experiencing it, but he could see I was. Maybe he wasn't seeing the visions that I was seeing, but he knew I was. And when I would tell him what it was, I could see he'd just get really happy about it. He'd be like, yeah... I saw a lion, and I saw, you know, and I tell him what I saw, and he'd be so happy, and he'd be like, all right. And, and just encourage me, he's like, all right, now, go back to sleep, if you, if you see something else, you can wake me up. I'm like, all right, because I just wake him up at night, telling him. So, there's, a, there's this, this spiritual factor in our life that is so much more important than other things. And so I emphasize that. But 
But you know how I sneakily emphasize education? You know how to do it on yeah. the fly? Yeah. I just sneak around with it like, we'll give you money to go to school. Right? Or, uh, it isn't a lot of money, but it just says we value you being there, okay? That's what it is. And, and you know, it's just something that I value and it's something that I think is important. And because I know that it opens up doors. You know, we have... Uh, a missionary in China, because that door is open. That door was open through obtaining a degree and getting there. All right, something they said that you couldn't do. All right, but it just opened up a door to do that. And and the others that have come through that have been able to go to school and get jobs and go to school and have doors open for. Them, I mean, it's something that we want to encourage. It's something we want to emphasize, but it's not all important. And so, I'm talking about it tonight because I think the men of Issachar are important enough for us to understand. Alright, and to see that there is a balance. I think somebody like Daniel is important for us to understand and see that there is a balance in this. And there is a value in this. If we're going to be a people who understand the times. And I want to be a people who understand the times. And so... The, the men of Issachar, the elders, the, the chiefs of Issachar, they decide they're going to throw in with David. That's what they decide. Okay, David, we're all in. And they were literally all in. They were all in. And I want you to think about this in terms of Jesus. Alright? Jesus sets up, he's got a throne, right? Throne of Christ. There it is. And you can live, like, most of your life and never perceive it's there. Some people do. And anyway, it could be just a certain number of years of your life, or it could have been more of your life, most of your life, or whatever. And not even perceive that it's there. And there may come a day where finally, that, that and it's not that the throne's not established, this throne is established, okay? He is there. He is here. He's in our midst. He's on a throne. Alright, it's real. And that's who He is. And I want you to think of it in those terms, that Jesus is real, He is present, and He's on His throne. Alright, well how did we miss that? Those of us that missed it for a bunch of years, how you miss that? Distracted by your You're distracted by whatever, right. Yeah. And, and, and we don't perceive it. And I'll, I'll, I'll use our soul as being the perceiver. Of this, because I think that when we talk about <laughs> really beginning to follow after Jesus, really begin to understand Him, that the soul is is active in that. And by that, I mean that it's, it's, it's a, a work of our mind and a work of our our emotions that a decision has to be made. And I know that sounds crazy, but it, it has to be. Because, I mean, you can say, oh, it's all spiritual. Well, it's not all spiritual. Because we're not really operating on a spiritual plane yet. At least somewhat, maybe, but not to the extent that you're going to be making decisions based on your spirit at that point. And so you're actually looking at things, you're seeing things, you're experiencing things. When you become aware, when your soul becomes aware, perceives Jesus, perceives Him, on his throne. Well, what's our reaction? Well, that's that's a real question. 
And and this is what I I want you to see with these men of Issachar. Because they had to make that kind of a decision. Based on what? Based on their experience and based on the wisdom of God. But we come into that place. And you, you know people come into that place. And you see people, they, they, see, they see Jesus, right? In their soul. They see Him. Emotionally, they experience Him. Maybe even intellectually, they experience Him. They see it. Maybe there's supernatural revelation. Maybe someone speaks to them with a word of, of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Maybe somebody knows what's going on in their life and speaks it and God reveals himself that way. All right. Well, they got to make a decision, don't they? You know, and if this is you, then you can put yourself in it. But somebody's got to make a decision on that. And so, what could that decision, what could that reaction be? I mean, it could be joyful, right? All right. I never knew. This is great. You can see it as provision or whatever. You can see it as in your best interest because it's not just a few days but this is a, a decision that has eternity in it. Kind of, kind of sewn into it. There's eternity in that. And so it could be that, that we're making a decision but we need to see it for what it really is. And I'm not afraid to tell people this. You ready? It is in your own best interest to respond to Jesus. It is. It is in your own best interest. And if God is revealing Himself, God is showing Himself, God is, is bringing forth the supernatural, God is laying it out for you, and you're experiencing Him in your soul, it is in your best interest to respond to Him. And I let people know that. Because I think sometimes we look at people and they get blessed and God does some stuff in their life and they get all excited in that moment. But one thing I learned when I was traveling around, because I knew I'd be leaving that week, and I wouldn't be coming back, at least for a year or more, into a church, say, when I would speak at churches. If somebody responded to Jesus, in other words, there's a word of knowledge given, a word of wisdom, and somebody responded. I'll give you an example. As a, I was in a church in Rochester. Those of you who heard this story, excuse me, but... Um, I was in a church in Rochester and there was a woman that I called out and I spoke over that guy was healing her. Uh, and, and she broke down crying and she, um, you know, responded in that moment. I spoke to her though. I said, it is in your best interest. This could save your life if you allow it. That you need to respond to this and you need to make a decision. And we can't be afraid to say things like that to people. Why not? Why not give them a little bit of direction? Why not? And, and you know, thinking, oh, well, you know, they're responding emotionally right now. They could be even responding intellectually right now. And to assume, well, that's just going to take root. Well, it may, and it may not. The further someone gets away from an event, if a decision hasn't been made right then, then chances are a decision's not going to be made. Because that's just the way it is. We're humans. And we get distracted. And we get drawn away. And as we get further and further away from an event, it seems less and less important. 
even though at the time it caused us to cry, or at the time we had an emotional reaction to it, or at the time it was something that was super powerful in our life, but as we move away from it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem as powerful. I saw Don today. And uh, we were talking. He said his little dog, Pilot, died. Yeah. And uh, it, it's been a couple weeks since he passed away. He died. And uh, and so, but Don, that was funny. He's like, yeah. He's like, you know what the real bummer is? He died on exactly the same day that the Beatles broke up. But but the only reason I mentioned that I said I bet if you caught Don on the day that Pilot died, he wouldn't have made a joke about it. Right? And I'm not saying he doesn't miss the doggy, and I'm not saying that's still not important to him, but the further you get away from an event, the less of an emotional impact that it has. Okay? And so we can't be afraid to challenge people when the moment is right. Just can't. Because those are times, I believe, that we need to discern. Those are times that I believe we need to understand. All right? Other times in people's lives that we need to understand. And to do what needs to be done. And say what needs to be said in the moment. Now, I want to say this, and I want you to understand this, but the Holy Spirit works in time. Okay? Because we live in time. And so, I want you to understand that when God has something for you to say to somebody, the time matters. It just does. And to imagine that it doesn't is self-deceptive. Timing matters. And God says, matters. Not only what He says, it's when He says. And those kind of things matter in, in the spiritual realm. They matter in the physical realm in people's lives. Because moments pass and then they're done. And and I'm, I'll be first in line to tell you that I miss those all the time. I don't want to. And, and I, I hope that I'm missing them less and less in my life. But if I look back on my life, I can see missing those moments time and time again. Because I would hesitate to say something, or I'd want to think of a better way to say it, or I'd want to think of a better time to say it, or something like that, and I would miss the moment and you know what? That moment, it never comes around again. Mm-hmm. Another moment may come and I get a chance to redeem that. Maybe. Maybe not. Alright? And that's just the way it is. But to understand that is to understand the times mm-hmm. in people's lives. And there may be a time in a person's life where this needs to be said. Because that time will never come again. And to be open to that and be ready to say it. To be ready to challenge. To be ready to confirm. To be ready to ask the question. To be ready to, to do whatever needs to be done. To see that person change. To see 
that moment where it seems like, and I want you to understand, it's like, it's like, because people change in a moment. Alright? His too. And we can be part of that moment if we can understand the time. But you know what will stop you? Pride. Fear. There's lots of things that will stop you. Lots of things that stop us from really making the, the positive move in the time. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff in the way of that. It doesn't have to be that way. If you like wisdom, what do you need to do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah if you missed a bunch of times before, what, what's that called? Experience? <laughs> Can you learn from that? Yeah. yeah. If you will. If you will, you can learn from that. If not, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. But we're given, we're given the opportunity to affect people's lives. The throne of Jesus is there. And, and you know, we don't always perceive that our whole lives maybe. Our other people... They, they don't always perceive that. They don't always see it. But that moment comes and we have an opportunity. We have a duty. We don't like that word, duty. D-U-T-Y. We don't like that word, duty. But it's there. We have an opportunity. We have a duty. And it's in people's best interest. It's in our best interest. Alright? It was in the best interest of the men of Issachar to submit themselves to David. They understood it. They got it. Yeah. It, sometimes it's in our best interest. Not sometimes. It is in our best interest. Duty. Best interest to submit ourselves to Jesus. Always. And it's in the best interest of the people that are around us that in the moment, when that moment comes, to encourage them, to speak it over them, to ask them to do whatever we need to do to let them know that it is in their best interest to submit to Jesus also. You see, these men of Issachar, again, they weren't just representing their own tribe. They were speaking for Israel. And it would be after they make their decision, after they give themselves over to Jesus, after they submit themselves over to David, that the rest of Israel are going to come. So we have that. We have that opportunity in people's lives. The other thing they had to do, and this is the last thing I'll talk about, but the, the other thing they had to do, the Issachar, Pete and the men of Issachar, is they had to renounce their allegiance to Saul and his family. Okay? So they had to renounce one thing and pledge their allegiance to the other. They had to leave behind the one thing in order to submit themselves to the other. They had to cut themselves off from the one thing, whatever that was, influence, power, position, no idea. But they had to cut themselves off to that in order to put themselves in line with David. Well, we need that. If you're going to want, you have a person who who understands the times, then you got to renounce stuff that's not consistent with Jesus. What's not consistent with Jesus? Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. You know, I, 
and I, I don't even know uh, everything that I could probably list here. It's, it's too long to list it's stuff that's not consistent with Jesus in our lives. Now, I, in fact, I don't need to make a list, I don't think. I think the Holy Spirit's pretty good at it. He's pretty good at letting us know that this isn't consistent with Jesus. Like what? Like anything that's not consistent with Jesus. What does that mean? Uh, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Okay? Let the Holy Spirit lead you in your life about things that are just inconsistent. About things that aren't in line with what Jesus is doing. Aren't in line with what Jesus wants to do through your life. Aren't in line with what Jesus has for you. Alright? They're normally stuff that you just want to do, right? Or stuff that you were brought up doing. Or stuff that you just got used to at a certain point in your life. Or stuff that people expect of you. Stuff that society expects of you. Stuff that your family expects of you. Whatever it is. I don't even know. But there's all kinds of stuff in our lives that, that people or whoever expect of us that are just, just not consistent with Jesus. It's not. And I'm more concerned about those kind of things. Things that affect our behavior. Things that affect our response. Things that keep us from really going full force into what Jesus has for us. That's what I'm concerned about. That's what I'm concerned about. Not, not little stupid things. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But, but you think about the major things here, the men of Issachar, what do they need to do? they got to renounce Saul. Right? Big thing. That's a big deal. Because that's inconsistent with following David. Right? You can't follow the family of Saul and follow David. That doesn't work. No. Mutually exclusive. Alright? You can't pledge allegiance to the family of Saul and pledge allegiance to David. Why? Mutually exclusive. You can't pledge allegiance to both. You can't do it. You can't take up arms for the family of Saul and take up arms for David. You'd be fighting yourself. Does make any sense? Mutually exclusive. So, there's plenty of things that are going to be mutually exclusive in our lives. There are, there are things that, decisions I had to make early on, and, uh, you know, like, what my major was in college. Alright, that was a big deal to me. It was a big deal that I graduated with a certain major in college, because that's what's expected, and, and everybody was rooting for me, and everybody was really proud of me. And I was doing it. And to give that up, and to go a different direction, because it was inconsistent with the call in my life and with Jesus. That's hard. And there's all kinds of hard things. All kinds of hard things. Why are they hard? Just because, well, pride? Because that was all pride. All of it. Alright? Or whatever it would be. So I want to take a few minutes and I want to encourage you that uh, this would be a good time to renounce stuff that's not consistent with Jesus. Because what I'm really encouraging in you and what I really encourage you tonight is that you put yourself in a position, put yourself in a position that you might understand the times. Now let's just start that real close. Let's just start that real close to our own lives. Let's start that real close to who we are and to the people around us. Start that really close to understanding the times of God through us and in us.
And then maybe that'll expand out. Maybe that'll begin to expand out into the groups that we're part of. Maybe that'll begin to expand out into the area where we live. Maybe that'll begin to expand out into our nation. Maybe that'll begin to expand out into our world. Well, let's start close to home. Start in us. And I want to pray for you that we get a better sense of God's time in us. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like. But not to let's not miss God's time. Well, let's put ourselves in a position to be flowing in His time and in His Word. It's one thing to prophesy; it's another thing to prophesy when it's the right time. Okay? Because that takes that prophecy and multiplies it by an X factor. All right? Like an exponential factor. When you prophesy something in the right time. Yeah. It goes from a firecracker to a pretty big explosion. Okay. But we need to have a sense of that. I think most of us move in some kind of prophecy. Great. Let's get it at the right time. Let's hit it at the right time. See some powerful things happen. Alright, let's pray. Let's take a few moments and I encourage you to to take a moment and maybe you need to renounce uh, something in your life or some things in your life that just aren't consistent with Jesus. And you know they're not. And just take a moment to do that. You don't have to do it out loud. Just UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You're home, yeah.